0: I'm Stephen Price.
1: Hello, I'm Cara Githens.
0: This is The Innkeepers, a podcast by Sanctuary Inn. At Sanctuary Inn, we believe we are called to equip, refresh, and restore God's global workers.
1: On this podcast, we will be interviewing guests who have much to teach us about the many facets of missionary care. Let's learn together and be encouraged to press on in the work God has given each one of us to do.
0: Hi, this is Steve.
1: Hello, this is Cara. So, Steve, can you share with our audience today who we are interviewing?
0: Yeah, we're interviewing some guests and some friends of mine, and and uh, they've just asked us, referred to them as Clinton Valerie. So, Clinton Valerie and their family have pursued God's call in their lives to serve and work amongst cultures who have little to no access in the gospel to the gospel around the world. They've done this through starting a business in a limited access nation and currently they serve in a more traditional role of missions among the diaspora in North America. Their heart and hope is that everyone would have an opportunity to understand the possibility of reconciliation with God through Jesus. They have four children who keep them super busy. They currently live in Toronto ministering to others who are from who are from this diaspora. They have a heart for seeing more people mobilized into the great commandment and the Great Commission.
1: Oh, great, let's get started.
0: Well, we have the opportunity today on the Innkeepers podcast to interview some friends of mine, Clinton Valerie, that um, my wife and I first met the summer of 2009. Uh, when they came out to Portland, Oregon. And so, Clinton, Valerie, welcome to the podcast. Thank, thank you,
2: Steve. It's great to be here with you.
0: Um, would you just take a minute and introduce yourselves to our listeners
2: and give us a little bit of your backstory? Sure. Uh, my name's Clint, and this is Valerie, my wife. We are uh, American. We've been married for, how long have we been married? 16 years. <laughs> and uh, we have four kids and we've served God around the world in different places we have a heart for God and uh, what he's doing in the earth we we did as Steve you mentioned we did spend a summer at the worldview training center in Portland Oregon and we loved it it was incredible and it was really good to connect with you and so many others and what would you add about us honey (laughs)
0: well you might mention that you do have a set of twins in those four
3: we do our our oldest is 13 or 14 almost next week and then our twins are nine and then our youngest is seven and a half so we ate the end of the summer
0: all right
1: so I haven't gotten a chance to get to know your story uh much yet so could you share with us a little bit about how you guys got involved in cross-cultural ministry?
2: We, um, well, for me, it wasn't until I, I went to school at Liberty University. And so um, it was my first year there. I transferred in as a junior and no one had ever told me that billions of people had never heard the gospel. Hmm. And so it was there. That was the first time I ever heard that fact. And so it really, God used that, that picture and that idea to mess with my head and heart Um, And I had been a Christian for a long, since I was 12 or 13, and like, I've never doubted God or his existence or what he was doing in the world. He radically saved my family. And so when I heard that, I'm like, wow, like God loves everyone the same and everyone should have the same opportunity to know who he is and what he's done for them through his son And this is a, this is not right. And so through a series of circumstances and relationships with different people and mentors, God led me into missions to do work pursuing those who are unreached.
3: Yeah, we both kind of had our own journeys before getting to know each other. Um, When I was a young child, I remember Meeting missionaries, I was probably eight years old meeting missionaries who came to our church and was telling us how they would tell people about Jesus in Brazil. And I remember as a little kid thinking, oh, how cool. And in my head, my picture was this big circus tent, and you sat underneath and and you would tell people about Jesus all day. And then they would bring you green bean casserole to eat at night because you have to eat something you don't like. And that was right. the worst thing. <laughs> but the Lord was was churning in my heart. Um about the world and how people need to hear about Jesus. And so as I got older, I was involved with different, um, opportunities to go overseas. I went to India, um, twice in high school for the summers and, um, that I middle of university, I went for a year to teach in a Bible college and help with an orphanage. And so we both kind of were running this path that we knew the Lord was directing us, um, towards going overseas. And, uh, And then after we got, when we got married, we knew that we were headed to India. We knew the Lord had kind of narrowed both of our hearts down to one area. And so we, um, we got married and started looking for an organization and started raising support and just started our journey together. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. So, and, um, you went to India on, now we have another podcast recording that will air this season that will talk about the business's mission model, but you guys went to, uh, to India um, with a business's mission model, is that correct?
2: Yes, that's right. We, we went, we, we were kind of a hybrid model, and so the idea was we would be on support. We, we would be fully supported missionaries. We would start and run the business and God willing, as the business would grow, we would phase off of support until the business was able to fully sustain us. And so Mm -hmm. we were well on the way towards reaching that goal. Um, But then things changed. Uh, We can save that for later if you want. But yeah, so we definitely were pursuing the whole B4T BAM movement idea of extending the kingdom through gospel witness through business. Mm
0: -hmm. Okay. And what ages were your kids when you went to India?
3: Our oldest was, had just turned two. Wow.
0: Okay.
3: Yes.
1: Raising a family cross culturally has all its different challenges, too.
3: It does. And it was really unique to see things through her eyes as well. It opened up a lot of um, relationships, too, and kind of views of things. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so- Navigating school, even like, I mean, even how we dealt with the community and how we looked right. at schooling and, and um, yeah,
1: so how would you describe um, your ministry and miss- missional living that, that you lived out and, and the work you guys did?
2: So for us, business is basically relationships. Uh, so when you think about you know you're providing a service or producing a product, you're, you're having to engage with all different kinds of people to make this happen to, to develop an end result. And so our philosophy of ministry was, well, you know, in, in a place that has an anti-conversion law you can't necessarily be a traditional worker in that sense. And so let's start a business. Um, So I, uh, on my Rolodex on my phone, as an example, I have about 3000 names that over the period of about five years, like you're building relationships with all these people. So we're, as an example, hotel owners, um, restaurant owners, transportation company owners, uh, different sites that we would take our clients to on our tours, master artisans who were Hindu and Muslim all over the place. And so you're constantly building relationships to support an architecture and infrastructure to serve your customers. And so for us, business is a way to meet people, to develop trust, to gain access into places. And then be intentional in and through those relationships to bring the gospel of Jesus uh, to them. So
3: it also helped to um, tear down barriers that our neighbors might have had, you know, in going over there. A lot of their first questions are, who are you and why are you here?
0: Why are you you here? (laughs) Yeah.
3: Yeah. And so it it gave them it, it just gave them an answer to those questions that they could understand, and then they were able to open up and freely have a relationship with us and not be burdened by trying to figure us out.
0: Yeah, mm-hmm. okay. Talk a little bit more about some of your um, time as a family, the adjustments you made reference to school, but um, as a family, how, how would you describe your time there?
3: As a family, our time was wonderful. We, uh, we really enjoyed it. Our daughter adjusted so well. Um, in fact, she would tell people she was Indian. She really thought she was. <laughs> so uh, we um, we got to know some neighbors that really clued us in on what was coming next. Um, oh, they told yeah. us about different schools yeah. and told us what to look for. And so we, um, we got to meet people. We got to introduce ourselves and kind of see how things were set up. And then Through that, our daughter started school, a lot of the children there start at age three. So she started school at age three at a Montessori school and really got to know, uh, we got to know the system early. (laughs) Yeah, Uh, right. Yeah, that's wonderful.
0: So um, one of my thoughts when we were talking about this, this interview was just the idea of missional living or incarnational living. And I feel like as a family, you've made a pretty deliberate choice that wherever God has put you, that your your desire is to represent the kingdom and represent him um you ended up having to leave india and then you made another in terms of the location where you are now you made a pretty deliberate choice can you just talk about kind of that transition um how that went what were some of your considerations and how you chose to be where you are now
2: we we had uh an unexpected and involuntary transition out of India that was fueled by political turbulence between America and India. And there were some other things happening that we can only speculate, but we, unfortunately, um, we had visa issues for our youngest, which was an indirect way of asking us to leave. And it happened to a whole bunch of other people at the same time. Mm -hmm. So we're like, okay, God, um, we we have this heart we have we've acquired these cultural and language skills with a certain group of people um the 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 truth is like these people most of them have never heard the gospel they don't have a relationship with a christian and the unique thing is they're found all around the world they say Hmm. that the sun never sets on the indian diaspora and so anywhere in the world you go you can find people from india and so so we, the, we, we had kind of like an evolution of questions that we were asking. So our, the first question when we went to India was, God, what can we do to be a part of Reaching India? Well, when we had to leave India, the, the question shifted to God, what can we do to be a part of Reaching Indians? And so our organization invited us to come to Canada And uh, we we relocated, short story, to Toronto, which has a massive population of South Asian Indians who live here. We're talking hundreds of thousands of people, most of whom are not being engaged with the gospel or by the local church. And so we wanted to move into an area that had a high concentration of South Asian Indians so we could continue ministry. So in our mind, the, the logic was same people, different location same need, different location. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, we went from, you know, 130 degree weather in the summer to like minus 30 in the winter, right? right. So yeah. massive, like temperature changes, but yeah. but the Hindu temples, they, this, the same Shiva is the same Shiva in Toronto as it is in Varanasi, right? Mm-hmm. So um, we uh, we came here on on mission purposefully to engage the South Asian diaspora and so location for us became a secondary matter yeah and um and so it was a painful process to let go of the country that we had loved and God kind of re- refined some of our motives and our thinking in, in that yeah. whole process and so that that's the short of of it how we ended up in in Toronto yeah.
3: And I, I think with us coming here as Americans, you know, Canada looks a lot like the US does, um, yeah. but things run very differently. And so okay. as we're learning um, the process and procedure of getting a driver's license or doing this, or how do we do this? Um, that's a lot of what our Indian neighbors are going through as well and learning how the system works. And so right. it's been an interesting way to connect with people here who were not born here in Canada.
2: Right, okay. Well, I, I think I think one of the things that we've learned is, <clears throat> you know, things can change so quickly. And so the question is, what is the constant, right? What's the one thing that never changes, right? And so for us, the thing that never changes is the great commission and the great commandment. And so what we've learned is, is like God can allow circumstances to change, but that doesn't mean our calling changes in a sense. And so mm-hmm. we have to trust his leading and his guiding and closed doors, open doors, and we so the the question is god what can we do to be a part of reaching or fulfilling the great commission and the great commandment wherever you place us and so that's that's kind of where we've come to okay yeah.
1: i'm sure that that transition and the, all the visa issues was not an easy time because there's so much grief so much confusion um that happens when those kind of transitions and um, you know, we've had a lot of guests come here to Sanctuary Inn and those kind of spaces of like, okay, this door closed now what? Mm-hmm. So um, it's just it's good to hear your story and and kind of in some ways you're a little bit on the other side of that that valley and and God has answered that question of now what? Um, but the valley is still hard.
3: Absolutely, and you know, as we were going through the struggle and. The emotions and not really understanding what was going on emotionally with it, but feeling hurting inside. Um, we actually sat down with um, a missionary counselor and she put Um, this was months later like she put the grief curve down in front of us and we had never put the word grief to that Um, process and immediately Clint and I were like oh I'm there and we were at different spots we knew right where we were at Mm -hmm. and it gave us permission to (laughs) grieve because when you are uprooted and you aren't expecting it or you aren't wanting it or any of these things like it is grief it's grief over many things for yourself and for your kids and for life and ministry and Everything. So it was, it was a freedom to know that there was the ability to grieve. Yeah.
2: To grieve. Yeah. You, you know how God sometimes uses, sometimes I say, sometimes uses trials to like humble us. And I, I didn't realize how arrogant and prideful I was. I, I re, we were in Thailand once on a visa run and we were staying at the juniper tree, which I don't know if you've ever heard of it. It was a missionary guest house and they had communal dining. And I remember there was a family there and, um, the the dad, he would always come to each meal like disheveled, unkempt, um, didn't shave like he was he was just I'm, I'm thinking to myself, like, what's wrong with this guy? Like, what, what's his deal? And they had been through a, an unexpected involuntary transition you know in, in my mind. I'm like, hey, hey, man, just pull up your bootstraps like like well, like well, what's going on? And so little did I know I would become that guy like during this, this massive trans. like I, I literally would like, you know, the the number it did on me mentally, emotionally, psychologically, like I would sit down at a computer to type an email and like, I would tell my fingers to move and like, they wouldn't move. Right. Mm -hmm. And like just really dark places, like when everything that you had built and worked towards like is taken away, um, and it's like, God, why, you know? And so that was, it, it took, I had a friend, He his name his name was Tim and he's like, Tim, uh, he said, Clint, it'll be two years before you get back to normal. And he had been through something similar in India. And I'm like, yeah, whatever, like, and he was exactly right. It took two years to get back to like a healthy place. I'm uh, mm-hmm. sure, so, mm-hmm. sorry. Yeah. Yep. No, no, that's totally no, appropriate. That's really good.
0: It's good for everyone to hear those things. So we often talk about the fact that change and change and grief travel together. They're traveling companions. And even good change, I mean, quote unquote good change has can have an element of grief to it because often you're leaving something behind and going some, somewhere else. And and so we're just trying to we talk a lot about that with the missionary kids that come here and we talk about how the change that they're going through, even depending, you know, if it's quote unquote good change or bad or unexpected. There's, there is an element of grief. You have to recognize that, honor that grief, mourn that. Um, Cara has a story from her own experience about giving, you know, finally give, being given the permission to grieve and uh, just how significant that was. So
2: I, I, I used to think that, that God's call on my life was solely for the benefit of other people. And what I didn't realize was, was that God's call my life, yes, is partly in the benefit for other people, but it's also to mold and refine me, right? right? And even as a family together, like, and so learning, like you talk about change and grief and it's like, God uses change and grief to like, show you who you really are and who you thought you were, but you really aren't. And like to bring out all of the stuff inside of you and and so like change and grief are great agents for sanctification, that's for sure.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, that's, true. that's true. What the what was the timeline um, time span, I guess, from leaving India before arriving in Canada? How much time elapsed?
3: About a year and a half.
0: About a year from the a year.
3: from the time we left the plane going, we went to America to have our youngest. Okay. Um, to the point of moving up here. So in, in that year and a half, we found out our, we couldn't get the visa we needed for our youngest. Um, Clint had to go and shut down, I had three babies. My I, my twins are one and a half when, when our wow. youngest was born. So I couldn't go. So he had to go and shut down our apartment and our business and mm-hmm. everything. And um, then he came back and we started moving this direction. Our oldest at that time was in school so we wanted to we wanted her to be able to start school wherever we were going to end up we didn't want to do another year we'd already done one year of kind of schooling at home yeah. off and on while having a baby
0: <laughs> Trans- transitional living
3: <laughs> yeah so we wanted her to be set um by the fall when school started that next year so
2: I, th- I think over that year and a half we moved 14 times we did oh wow yeah
0: that's that we've heard that story too for sure
1: definitely i think but i think it's good for people who support missions and who are interested in caring for missionaries to understand this is a reality of transition it is an uncomfortable place and god doesn't waste any of it but it is it's not like you he waved a magic wand and you left india and you arrived in toronto and there was no there was no struggle in it right there's there's i mean it's always good to hear how God redeems and uses those seasons and how he's continued to be faithful in his call on your life but there's there's some hard places in in missionary life
0: yeah and just a good heads up to our listeners that if they're praying for missionaries especially missionaries in transition to remember them because it can take its toll on the family as you relocate and relocate and relocate and um yeah that yeah we it's an Yeah, God uses those times, but those can be so hard as a family. Well, um, so you show up in Canada. You're in a foreign country. What kind of visa did you, how did you get into Canada? I mean, Canada sometimes is gracious and sometimes they're a little stingy with visas and stuff. So,
2: I think we had our organization extend us a letter of employment. Okay. And... We jumped through those hoops and I didn't think they were actually going to let us in. It's interesting that you say that they, we, we showed up the board up to the border and we were at the, it was the most, it was the most difficult border crossing of, it was four hours. Wow. They they kept us and interrogated us. And I think our, our customs agent was an atheist. And when they found out we were here for ministry, her whole tune changed. Um, But uh, that's another story. But I, yeah, it was four hours. Our Uh,
3: organization has an office in Canada. They have a a Canadian branch and a U.S. branch. So they could offer um, an employment letter.
0: Okay. Okay. Help. Right.
3: Yeah. They told us right off the bat that they would not be renewing that. The government did. That they would not renew it after the four years was up. We needed to apply for permanent residency or plan to leave. So we went the permanent residency route and we um are granted permanent residency during the pandemic
0: <laughs> oh wow okay okay wow okay yeah so then you show up in toronto you're um navigating you're having to find a place to live start new start in a new school system with your kids um let's uh learning where to shop meeting your neighbors let's talk a little bit about that time
2: the school so well we, we identified an area in the GTA and um, this particular area is known as India Central. And so literally um, some of the locals, they, they refer to it as uh, Bram Ladesh or Brown Town or Singh Town, you know, there are all these wow. different names. And so we, uh, it, what was interesting was when we were trying to find a place to live, our, the realtor guy that helped us find a place to rent. His name uh, was Tony. He was a white Italian guy. And we were looking at, I think it was about our 12th place that we had looked at. And we were looking at the townhouse that we're in right now. And Tony, he's in mid-sentence explaining all the amenities and he stops and he literally has this awkward pause for like five seconds. Right. And he looks at us and he just shakes his head. And he's like, I just, I don't get it. Like all of the white people are moving out and yet like you're wanting to move in. And mm-hmm. uh, and so apparently like the whole race thing here is pretty big. Oh, but, um, mm-hmm. So so on that note, like the school that we initially sent our kids to was right like street. two blocks down. I can almost see it. And the 1100 kids in the whole school and the vice principal who became a friend said that in the whole school of like 1100 kids there were 10 white faces and at three of them belonged to us at the time wow. and so <laughs> so, it, so it, like for all intents and purposes it was like india with poutine and cold temperatures like it, like it's
3: <laughs> that really helped in our daughter's transition because uh-huh. she had a really hard time that we weren't going back to the only home she knew you know yeah too and um So coming here and all of her, all of her classmates were from India and Pakistan, and she just jumped right in like, and flourished, did really well, made friends, um, traded her food for samosas (laughs) at lunch, you know, like she She, really enjoyed it and did well.
2: She caught flack from a Hindu friend for eating a hot dog at lunch because, Hey, we don't eat meat. (laughs) We shouldn't eat meat. Right. Like, like it's, it's, uh, well, what was really funny, she joined a rock band in the, uh, in the school and it they so imagine like you know a young white girl lead singing singing yellow by Coldplay and like literally the whole like a thousand people were at this thing and like they're all brown and they're all from Afghanistan Pakistan India and, and they loved it right like it was just yeah. like surreal experience but yeah things like that would happen a lot
3: um we loved it it was great yeah, yeah. It was great
2: right.
0: Yeah. So you go and meet other parents and yeah, you're the white faces in, in a, in a non-white community. And how, how did people receive you? They
3: received us very well. We made lots of friends in the neighborhood. I think our kids were a big open door, like eating. Our youngest was a baby and she would just jump into the arms of the ladies at the bus stop and they would giggle and want us to come see them more. So it was, um, the kids really open a lot of doors and that they soften up. <laughs> yeah.
2: So, so I'll, I'll tell a funny story to kind of, uh, and if you, so we, I love Jewish delis, right. And so uh, my favorite Jewish deli uh, was Kaplanski's down in Toronto. I said to Valerie one day, I said, Valerie, let's go downtown. Let's go get a Reuben. I really want a Reuben. Yeah. So we go downtown, all four kids, four kids in tow, standing room only waiting for a table. And this white Canadian lady like she's looking at me and looking at the kids and serious face. She looks at me, perfect stranger. And she's like, you know, there's a cure for that, right? Like basically telling me I need to get fixed because we have right. too many yeah. kids.
0: You too many but, kids.
2: Now, but, but now, like when, when you're in our neighborhood, like all of the South Asians love that you have a big family especially the muslim folk right like they they, the fact that you have a big family like raises your status in a sense it's like oh this is you're a family man right oh you love kids and so you have this like clash of values that you can really see here but it's as easy like you go the like we're very intentional at meeting people so at the school there was that like we would go to local parks i would specifically look for men with cortas and you know different south asian garb on go sit down at the bench start talking to them and most more often than not most people spoke hindi so we try to use some hindi to kind of develop a connection a lot of punjabi is spoken because there are a lot of sikhs here so i don't know much punjabi but um it's so easy to meet people right and and you know, South Asians are are famous for hospitality and wanting to build friendships. And it's so easy, right? Like it, you show interest in them. And the sad thing is a lot of them have a difficult time. Like a lot of, ca- you know, Canadian culture, it's, it's very American in the sense of it's very individualistic. It's very private. It's very, um, it's hard to break into community. And if someone from India especially hasn't been, trained or taught that like the people can appear to be very cold and 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 not welcoming and so you've got kind of a double whammy of you know immigrants who are community loving people who they just assume that the culture is going to be the same because they usually they're not trained with enculturation right coming here and so when you have a a family who not only speaks hindi but like loves samosas and chai and butter chicken like show up it's like hey like we're friends for life
1: and you understand where they're coming from because you've lived where they've lived and i'm sure that's a huge open door as well
3: absolutely in fact there's um there's a little grandma that walks around and she'll always say hi and she has her little walker and for years she'll always walk around and say hi and if she sees me up by the park she'll pull me over to sit down and talk to her and she says not many people will sit and talk to me like and she'll just talk and uh, but she was telling the other grandmas that are walking around in the evening time and so it was last summer we were sitting out front with the kids and this lady comes up and she starts speaking to us in Punjabi and I replied to her in Hindi I don't speak Punjabi but I speak some Hindi a little bit. And, uh, she was, Oh, I've heard about you. <laughs> so, so they, yeah. kindness and connecting go a long way. I,
2: yeah. I mean, we've been invited to pujas where like, they're dedicating their new house to like a God or goddess and they have the priest come in and, you know, does the fire in their home.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, we've been invited to iftar dinners during Ramadan by Muslim neighbors Um, we've been invited to mosques and like different Hindu temples and, and so it's, it really like from our perspective, like one of my mentors, he would always say ministry is 90% showing up and, and it's, and I, in general, he's right. Cross-cultural ministry does have a different element to it, right? That you do need training and knowledge on how, what culture is and how to move in it and how to learn it. Which is why we're so thankful for Worldview, by the you know, just to plug for what you guys did. But uh, you know, it, it, it's yeah, I you just show up, you know, you talk about missional, right? Like, like it's a mindset. It's a mm-hmm. it's a um if the Bible is true and if the God of the Bible is the only God in the universe, then it has implications for how we live and how we spend our time and our resources and and how we make our decisions. And it's like we, you know, we decided for our family. Like we believe and we know that it's true. And therefore we base our lives, our life, our collective lives as a family around this truth. And we want our kids to see that our choices reflect the priorities that we have. And our choices, they like we're putting our money where our mouth is, right?
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: So. That's huge. And I think many people think that it means living. Far, far away from home, and you are far away from home. But in many ways, you're also choose just choosing to live the gospel wherever you are, whether it's India or it's Canada, wherever God opens yeah. the doors. Um, and I think all of us can make that choice.
2: When, when I when I would get discouraged in India, like we had have some really bad days. And so a lot of times what I would do, I would hop on my motorcycle and like, I would, I would go to different locations. So one of the, I would go to the, one of the places in the city where they would make idols, fashion idols out of clay or wood or different kinds of metal. Mm-hmm. And I, I would, I would remind myself, Hey, like these people like, okay, believing what I believe and saying, you know, knowing what I know, I would pose this question go through these mental gymnastics okay believe in what I believe knowing what I know what wouldn't I want someone to do to come and reach me if I was lost
1: right yeah.
2: and so it's like okay you know if you're an unreached person who's a Hindu or a Muslim or a Jain or a Sikh that lives in India or lives in Canada or lives in Houston Texas or lives in the Maldives you know it's like everyone has a right to hear the truth and to be loved by a community of Christians and to experience that. And so it's like, yeah, that's what we want to be about. Yeah.
0: When you um, relocated to Toronto, was there a local church you plugged into? Did you go there with a goal to plant a church or what, what about the, your local church experience?
2: So we, um, our first we, uh, our first six months to a year, we were pretty beat up and our, our supervisor said, Hey, you need to put your family back together. You need to get healthy. So we had kind of a sabbatical, like our first six to 12 months here. yeah. And so we kind of did a return to, to normalcy more or less. Um, while just kind of basically surviving but we also looked for we found an Indian church that we could be a part of Mm -hmm. so we joined an Indian church for I think it was uh, two 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 years or so and um, we that
3: was what my heart needed uh, I did minister the Lord used that to minister to my heart so much in that difficult time and and transition and um, it was really a blessing
2: So we, we, we initially we were kind of like, you know, we kind of need to be ministered to, and, you know, we're, we just need to kind of slow down a little bit and figure some things out. Um, Obviously the the goal is, you know, making disciples and seeing people come to faith and like see the church grow. Like that's always a goal. Right. Um, And so we, we, we worked at trying to help the Indian church be more missional and that, that had its own challenges. Um, We stepped out after about two years, to help some other friends plant a church in our city. And we did that for about a year, I think.
3: About a year. We were on a core team kind of getting started. And then um, our oldest was getting to youth group age. And and there was no kids a part of that. And so we prayed about it and talked with them. And we ended up stepping into another church home that had a youth group that um, our kids could be stepping into as well and just kind of stage of life and the opportunity was here to have that um, be a part of their life so we stepped into it
2: We, we we feel like we kind of live in two parallel universes and so there's that universe but then the other universe is like in, in many ways, it's like frontline, unreached frontier ministry here in a country where you have like legacy Christianity. So you have traditional churches that exist, and a lot of them are, are some of them are good, they're really healthy, others are, aren't so much. But, but then in the mix of that, you have unreached peoples from unreached people groups like cohabitating in the same area. And the reality is from our experience, like most Hindu and Muslim people, as an example, will never step foot into the context of a traditional church. Right. So so the, the other universe we live in is like hospitality and engaging with people in homes, inviting them to our home, going to their homes um, and, and ministry in that sense. And so it's like, as we build relationships with people, we're at different stages of different relationships and different junctures. Um, And the hope would be that if God would bring someone to faith through our life and influence, then, you know, we would find a solution in terms of helping them find community. Um, We haven't got to that point necessarily with anyone yet, but um, so a lot of it's been proclamation, evangelism, sowing seeds. We, uh, we also welcome short-term teams from America where we baptize them into the world of Islam, Hinduism, Sikhism, and Buddhism. Mm-hmm. And we try to help them understand, hey, what, why does missions exist? What is missions? Mm-hmm. Um, and we, we, we look for churches that we can come alongside and help do culture training and equip them for, you know, how do you meet neighbors? How do you build relationships across cultural divides and that kind of thing? And so we, we have our hands on lots of different things And so, and we have the whole time since we've been here. Um, But I don't know if that answers your question.
0: Yeah, but so you have a role in the, actually in the Canadian church of helping them understand who lives next door.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So as an example, like we did a class on Hinduism at our current church. And, um, and then we, we took them to a Hindu temple and we, you know, things like that. And then several of those people actually started engaging their Hindu neighbor. Like they'd never had a conversation, a spiritual conversation with their Hindu friends. And after working with us, they're like, okay, we gotta do this, right? And so even, even, I think it was like last two weeks ago, we were at one of our small, our church's small groups. It's the Asian small group. And one of the ladies is a Chinese Malaysian and she was so excited like she had talked with a hindu lady that i think was at work or somewhere mm-hmm. and she had to she had to let us know that she had done that right and mm-hmm. and, uh, and so like you you have little bits of influence in different times and different lives like that for sure
1: yeah
3: mm-hmm.
1: and and i'm guessing the kind of work you're doing whether it were in in india or in canada you have to do a lot of planting seeds. It's a long, slow process. It's not, I mean, because their culture and their religion are so intertwined yeah. that you, it's a long, long road.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Faithfulness, it, it, it,
2: it creates a lot of tension. So we know probably, I'm going to guess 15 missionaries here in the city, um, 15 missionary units with different organizations. And one of the things that we hear all the time, and we've, in a sense, experienced this, where, you know, usually the mission, we're all kind of doing the same thing with different groups of people, but we we hear, we've experienced where local Christians, or especially Christian leaders like pastors, who don't really understand that cross-cultural work is different, and it requires a different skill set, and it requires an understanding of a different timetable. right where like a lot of it's relational and so like if you because a lot of us really don't quote-unquote have anything to show in terms Uh of people coming to faith it's like somehow you're you're subpar or you're what do you do with your time or like you know (laughs) allegations of like laziness Uh or 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 whatever and that that can be hard to fight through it has been for me and it's like Uh you know at least in India we had a business right and we could show you things and you know what we were doing but diaspora ministry in north america it's it's hard
0: yeah
1: Yeah. but it's so necessary the world is really coming to our doorstep so yeah we need to
0: have an answer as a church for that um do you ever have family conversations do your kids ever say "Now remind me again while we're doing this or are they just like all in or do they ever start wondering like hey this isn't what everyone's doing, or do those questions come up?
3: Um, I I think they recognize and understand what we do, and we've talked with them a lot, and it's really neat to hear, even when our oldest was, um, I remember she was having conversations with some kids down the street and telling them about the Bible, and, you know, it just overflows out in them quite often to their friends as well, and makes my heart happy to see that and I, I hope as they as they get older they continue to understand and recognize more and more um kind of why you know they they know what we do and how important it is and and I, I pray that they continue that through their life as well
2: it like like, like it's almost you've heard the old uh, the old phrase caught it's something some things are more caught than taught and mm-hmm. and I think like we we really try to be organic and incarnational and um like it's just who we are right like it, like it's not like a program it, like it
0: it's uh-huh.
2: it's like they see they see dad going to a mosque meeting with an imam or see dad debating with a muslim in a, in in his house right like about oh your bible's corrupted oh is it really right and you go back and forth or you know they see mom talking with you know the Hindu ladies in the garage, or and so it's it's almost like, like yeah, we want to teach our kids, but I, I I think like the fact that they see it and they hear it, I mean it. We're we're hoping and praying that that does its own work in a sense. Not that we're not intentional with them in other ways, but like right. like it's. um But
3: we see them putting into practice kind of what they're hearing and seeing. Yeah. You
2: know,
3: yeah. And. and- it's fun to go to the park and see who they connect with, you know, like they might be 10 kids there. And then we see our son run over to the Hindu boy and start talking to him. And they all of a sudden are buddies. And, you know, mm-hmm. that makes my heart feel good that he can connect with whoever he sees and he knows why we're here.
1: Yeah, yeah. I think that's so true. The MK so often can make those connections and they, they watch their parents and they live that life and, you know, many times they can really see their place in the story and sometimes they can't and it's a struggle but it can be a beautiful thing I remember that as a kid for myself I just being MK being our family did mission and we were all in it together it was just it was just life
2: and 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 this I don't mean this in a braggadocious or like a an arrogant way but I what's interesting is is like I've had people other parents in the youth group say things about Our oldest, and like, wow, like she's so like developed, and she knows her faith, and like she she's well spoken on this and that and the other, and and like what what we usually tell them if we have that conversation is it's like it's well, like isn't that the way it should be for every kid, right? Like, and like really seeing, you know, there's, you know, i I feel sorry for Christian parents that. Are just kind of like it's on cruise control by default right like like so we you know church is an event right like it's we go here we do this you know but there's no real like engagement right and you know there aren't many stories either right and so it's like we want to show our kids like the best stories come from those who actually like believe god and step out in faith and do something right
1: It takes intentionality. And I, I think that's what I hear in your story is there's God called us and we were intentional in obeying the call and going or intentional in continuing to obey the call and intentional with our kids. And that, I think that's missional living, really being intentional in all that you're doing instead of just going on the default mode, like you said,
3: Yeah. Yeah, and allowing our kids to be a part of it too. You know, like, allowing our kids to be there as we're having these conversations with people and yeah. seeing that open in our bibles and and um making sure they understand what's going on too along the way.
2: I, I we when we were at Worldview we did a, a case study on Gladys Aylward.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And her her life like comes back to me at, at different times and they, just like her like there have been times where i've said god like i'm not i might not be the sharpest instrument in the shed and you know i guess it's your business like you get to pick who you want to do whatever and like we're all equal right but we all have different functions and different gifts and that's fine that's up to you but it you know this idea of yeah like it, it it if you just like show up and let god use you um like he he does take care of the rest right and yeah
0: well, we're very grateful for our conversation and the time together as we kind of wrap things up. Is there is there anything you'd like to share with our listeners about um, as a family? And just to, I mean, you've talked a lot about the choices you've made, but um, just kind of any other thoughts as, as we kind of wrap things up here.
3: Yeah, I would say that you don't have to wait for a perfect timing. Yeah. To jump in and get to know your neighbors and to, you know, I've heard people use the the conversation piece of, oh, when my kids get a little older or, oh, when we have more time or, oh, and, yeah. you know, if you live intentionally where you're at and you make the time and involve your kids and your whole family, um, the Lord will take it and run with it that it's okay as you're getting to know your neighbor to be like, Oh yeah, you know, I've got to run my kid to soccer. I'll be right back, you know, and then come back and finish that conversation. You don't have to quit everything in life, just continue moving forward and get to know people around you.
2: Yeah. I I think for me, one thing I think about often, I like to think about, I, I like to use the metaphor of intersections for bringing clarity and understanding. And so for me, one of the most painful intersections in life is the intersection between profession of faith and like actual, like, what am I going to do about it? Right. And, and from my perspective, if, if you can get to a point where um, you just finally decide, you know what, do I really believe the things that I say I believe and you make that decision that decision yes and you don't look back like knowing that it's going to be it'll be a difficult journey ahead and there will be temptation to doubt that initial decision but if, if you get on that road like it's a lot of fun right like it's like the, the people we've met the experiences that god has given to us like, you, you know what living on a missionary budget is all about, right? Mm-hmm. And, like, we don't have a lot of money. We don't have a lot of things. We don't have um, a lot by this world's standards. But what we do have, we wouldn't trade for anything, right? Like, our faith, our knowledge, our experience, our pictures. Like, our, like, like it, it's, yeah.
0: Yeah. And God is, God is gracious. You've mentioned a couple of times, especially Valerie where you've talked about where God just kind of put a smile on your face because of the things you've seen your kids do or conversations you can think back on or, or encounters. And I think those are just little affirmations and reminders that God graciously gives us to say, Hey, this is, uh, this is my heart. You're, you're, you're engaging in my heart. And, um, and so i think those affirmations and encouragements are important and i think god's gracious to to give us those things along the way thank you so much
1: for your time thank you thank you thank
0: you yeah we're really grateful thanks have a great day thank you thanks you too Um, talk to me a little bit about the interview.
1: Yeah, I just really appreciated Clinton Valerie's um, willingness to share their story, and the the story that God is at work in them mm-hmm. and through them, mm-hmm. and that there's been some hard times and some amazing, just connections and ministry both in India and Canada, and just that God has been faithful to use them in both places. But
0: yeah, and I think that their um, transition story is important for people to hear. And it it was hard and um, there was, uh, you know, unexpected. And and that's an an important story to tell.
1: Yeah. And it's a common story. Mm -hmm. And it's a story that a lot of people can relate to. I'm sure a lot of our listeners have walked a similar road.
0: Yeah. And then the choices that they made to um, locate um, a similar ethnic group, you know, the ethnic group that uh, they were working with, but uh, finding them in a different location. And um, I'm just excited to hear all the, the stories from where they are right now.
1: Yeah, it kind of makes me wonder how many people are being just um, shaken up all over the world with those kind of visa mm. issues. And, yeah. you know, you've learned a language and a culture, but that people and culture has moved. Yeah. So you may be able to move with them. Yeah.
0: Yeah, God is moving people all the time, and sometimes, like you mentioned in the interview, people God is moving people to our back door, or to our front door. Anyway, just <laughs> yes. moving them to to right to, to our, our na- neighborhood, to our neighborhood, and uh, to uh, not be afraid to reach out and engage and yeah. be Whether friend. or not
1: we're in cross cultural ministry, I think oh, is yeah. an encouragement to all of us to mm-hmm. look around and see who, who our neighbors are, and how can yeah. we be very intentional with our faith.
0: Yeah, and just simply being a friend. So many people just desperately need someone to be their friend and to help them. Sometimes, um, help them navigate a system that's very unfamiliar to them. So those are just some easy and some good takeaways.
1: Yeah, thanks for listening,
0: and we'll see you next time on the Innkeepers Podcast. Thank you for joining us for the Innkeepers Podcast. Our mission at Sanctuary Inn is to equip, refresh, and restore God's global workers. We hope today's podcast was an encouragement to you, or maybe the podcast you heard today, you've been prompted to pass this along to someone you know that could benefit from today's conversation. Creating a podcast is a team effort, Kara and I prepare and do the interviews, and we're grateful for the time that our guests give us out of their busy lives to help us learn more about missionary care.
1: We want to thank Tim Downing for the music he wrote and performed for The Innkeeper's podcast. Tim is a very talented musician, and you can find out more about Tim at downingkeys.com. Our podcast is edited by Javier Bolanos, and our website and show notes are prepared by Micah Giffins, my amazing husband. You can visit the Sanctuary Inn website to see more of Micah's great work at sanctuaryin.org.
0: Thank you for joining us on our journey to learn more about missionary care.